Hi, I'm Stacey Shoemaker-Rowan, Editor-in-Chief of Hospitality Design Magazine, with HD's What I've Learned podcast. We originally had the prolific chef, restaurateur, and author, Marcus Samuelson, on the podcast in 2020, where we discussed his journey, as well as the subject on everyone's minds at the time, COVID, and its impact on the industry. Now, two years later, Marcus has kept busy. He recently opened his first restaurant in nearly a decade, Havenmar, a celebration of his Ethiopian and Scandinavian roots in Chelsea's art-centric Starrett Lehigh building. In November, he was also the guest editor of our print issue, an annual tradition where we hand the reins over to someone in the industry, though Marcus has the distinction of being our first chef to do so, and it was such an honor to work with him. To celebrate, we're excited to re-release the original episode from 2020. We also invite you to check out the issue, which highlights his career, includes conversations with artists like Michelaine Thomas and Julie Mitretu, fashion plates Dapper Dan and Lana Turner, and those who are championing Black food, including Rashida Purdy and KJ Kearney. To read it, go to hospitalitydesign.com. Marcus, thanks so much for joining us here today. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you? Good, thank you. Um, so how are you surviving amidst, you know, everything that's going on, especially with COVID and being a restaurateur? Well, um, I think it's been a very difficult, challenging spring for, for all of us, right? We have two major uh, viruses that we're combating and we're dealing with as a, as a country, obviously, COVID and, and dealing with that and how that has impacted my industry, the restaurant and hospitality industry. But then also the huge, even bigger than COVID, the huge um, uh, virus of racism. So, you know, to deal with that back to back. I'm not surprised that, you know, they're coming back to back because um, when people are really pushed, that's really when change is happening. Right. And I think the isolation too, you know, and then the, uh, you know, and then on top of everything else, you know, to have what has transpired in the last three weeks, you know, was just the breaking point for many. And how have you, you know, been dealing with, uh, you know, what are your thoughts on what's happening? I mean, if you don't mind talking about, you know, diversity in this industry and how we can do better and, you know, what um, the movement means for hospitality um, in general. Well, I mean, um, I think that it's great that we're focusing on this and I hope that it leads to real change. You know, I was part of a panel with 10 Black Chefs um, that was put together with uh, IRC, Independent Restaurant Coalition, and you know, some great chefs, you know, Kwame, Carla Hall, Naisha, Arrington, Mashama, Greg, and JJ, just to mention some, right? And we're not, you know, we're here. And uh, if you want to be part of change, you know, call Mashama up next time There's a, you want to pop up. You know, if you want a, a, a black sous chef or you culturally want to change your kitchen, you know, engage figure out in your community how you can create engage and create a more uh equal uh conversation and structuring your restaurant you know so um i hope it leads to major change we know that african americans have contributed enormous to the hospitality industry uh, from farm to to dining and you know 
for me, it's something I've been focusing on for a very long time. This fall, I'm launching a book called The Rise that we highlight about 40 of the most influential African Americans in the field. And, um, you know, that's all I can do with my work, you know, opening a Red Rooster, opening an Overtown. Those, that's, that's really I try to do through my work. Right. That's amazing. So have you been working on this book for a while? Four years. Wow. It takes me about four years to make a book, do a book, you know, I'm three to four years, you know, maybe six, seven. This, this is an experience that obviously shifts that I've thought about for a long time and then, you know, package it, get it to a publisher and then start to work. So, yeah, I mean, this book is something we started for a long time and together, you know, working with Osai as a writer and the journey has been amazing. It's been really rewarding. Wow. And how did you pick the people? <laughs> did you have to start with a big wide net and then, you know, narrow down or? Well, um, I mean, as, as, as a chef, black chef in the space for a long time, uh, these are, most of them are contacts of mine and friends of mine or contacts and friends of Usai. You know what I mean? That are people are doing amazing work, you know, and we want to tell, obviously the story in the rise is that as black chefs, it's not a monolithic journey. Um, you know, you can be Haitian, African, African black, Haitian black, and like Gregory and cook in Portland. You can be like Chef Eric that I worked for um, for Eric Repair for 25 years in a three-star Michelin kitchen. You can be, um, you know, a beginner in the industry like uh, a young cook, Patricia, that just started with CCAP. So showing our journeys are very, very different. And we share some, but we also have many nuanced differences. Yeah, no, that's amazing. Are you, you know, going back a little bit to, you know, reopening, how are you facing that with New York? How have you felt the government has been in terms of helping restaurants and getting you guys back on your feet? We deal with our opening. We listen to what the governor and the mayor says. And it's been a little start and stop because we had uh, the curfew and then, um, you know, which haven't happened in New York since the 40s. Um, and, um, then when we opened for the second time, it got really wild downtown, which then they shut down all the patios. So Monday we started phase two, which was started with, we started with, uh, take out and delivery about two weeks ago. And then we started patio on Monday. But in between that we served together with world central kitchen, north of 120,000 meals. You know, we pretty quickly converted Red Rooster to a community kitchen and been working with uh, World Central Kitchen ever since. Uh, and we served between Newark, Harlem, and Overtown over 120,000 meals. That is amazing. I mean, just the, the fact that you had that, in, you know, that capability and that, you know, uh, just to give back like that. I mean, I know that's always been something, you know, very big and dear to you, but that's, you know, really, I applaud you for doing that. Thank you. Um, let's start a little bit about your story because I think this will all weave together. But did you always know that you wanted to be a chef? You know, can you talk a little bit about growing up and what some of your early influences were that got you to where you are today? Well, I was cooking always with my grandmother when I was a kid. I basically knew two things. I knew how to play soccer and I knew how to cook. So, <laughs> uh, you know, surprising enough, but there's a lot of similarities, you know, high energy, you work on a team, you listen to chef or you listen to coach. And um, there's a lot of humility and work ethic in both. Yeah. Do you still play soccer? 
Uh, as often as I, as I can, yes. yes, yes. <laughs> That's awesome. And where did you grow up? On the west coast in Sweden, in Gothenburg. Okay. And then when did you come over to the States? Uh, in the mid-90s. Okay. And was that before or before culinary school or after, or did you go to culinary school? I mean, I went to a very simple culinary program in Gothenburg, the public school, and uh, my culinary school was really going to Japan as a kid, working, going to a three-star Michelin restaurant uh, when I was 19, 20, working in Switzerland. So I feel like my culinary school was really working in the world. Yeah. And um, as a young black kid, there was a lot of doors shut, but there was some open, and I made sure that I took every single one of them. And what were some of those doors that opened for you? So the one in Japan, and then where did you go from there? And how did you, you know, start to kind of weave your way through the industry to get to where you are today? Well, I think I, had, I mean, I was lucky. I had uh, the guidance of my parents and uh, mentors in the industry that early on, you know, I helped. I remember when I was nineteen, I worked in the best restaurant in Gothenburg. That was like, wow, you know, Gothenburg is like. I call it Pittsburgh on the sea, you know, I mean, it's a, it's a blue collar town where Volvo and Saab come from and it's definitely a blue collar city. So fine dining at that time in the, well, was not that common. So for me to get a chance to work there, but it changed my life because through that, I um, got a chance to meet my mentors and they sent me to France and they sent me to Switzerland. So this idea about, Mentorship is very, very important. Right. And how do you, I know that's also important to you still in mentoring young people. I mean, can you talk a little bit about how you do that now with your own company and how you find new people to work in your restaurants? I mean, I, uh, we work a lot with CCAP, Career Through Culinary Arts. I'm actually going right after this over uh, and do something with CCAP. And CCAP is a program that really guides high school students to get to get into culinary schools and then after school we're there hopefully with guidance and mentorship for jobs so you know our industry one of the beautiful thing about our industry is that we have mentorship that we have guidance and um it's one of the best things about our industry actually something's very dear to me what do you think was your big break i mean what do you think was the point of your career where you know you, you you felt that you made it or it was your big moment before you broke out on your own or maybe it was when you broke out on your own well i mean i i i don't look at it really like that like i i love cooking i love the field so i don't want to break out from it <laughs> i want to be in it fully uh and um i would probably say that Finding my passion and calling early um, has been very, very, um, I'm being blessed with that. There's a lot of people work a whole life. My grandmother worked a whole life and not once did anyone ask her if she had a great day, if she liked her job. She just did. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I think if you, if you are deeply uh, passionate and curious about your field, that is a luxury. So for everything that has happened to me it's within the industry it's something that i really love to do i mean getting the three stars from new york times or winning beard awards or having my tv show or opening red rooster 
uh, cooking for the Obamas, those are all great accomplishments. But they wouldn't have happened if I wouldn't have the guidance from my parents, if I wouldn't have mentors around me and a team around me, but also the passion and curiosity constantly evolving. Right. No, that's so true. Wait, can we go back to how you cooked for the Obamas? I forgot about that. What was that experience like? Well, it was amazing, you know, it was, uh, it was also in the beginning of when uh, the first lady just started her, um, um, the garden mission. So it was an opportunity to cook, uh, focus on vegetarian food because also the prime minister thing was vegetarian. Um, and so really in a thoughtful way, uh, curate a menu, work on a menu that has to be executed at a very specific time limits. So it was, I love the challenge. I love the date and the challenge. Yeah. And it must have been an honor, too, to... Uh... Oh, amazing. They were... They, I couldn't tell you how, how kind they were to my team, you know. After saying hi, goodnight to 400 people, they ran into the kitchen and talked to every single one of my cooks, took pictures with the cooks, something that I absolutely did not have to do. And, and it, it, they, know, they knew the moment was big for for the team and they were even if they were tired they were kind enough to do that so um, very very classy amazing people yeah and so what was what was the first restaurant then that you did on your own was that aquavit i mean no one does anything on their own but yeah i got a job at aquavit as a <laughs> young cook and and then eventually uh, i become the executive chef and eventually partner in the in the restaurant and you know, Aquavit was an amazing experience for me. I learned about New York. I learned about America. I learned how to manage. Um, and I also had a chance to cook food that I knew really well that I grew up with. I didn't have to second guess what I wanted my food to be at that time because I, I knew that Scandinavian food was delicious. Maybe the world didn't know about it, but I knew I wanted to break it down into building blocks and I knew how to build. And talk to me about opening Red Rooster and... Um in Harlem and, you know, kind of evolving your food, um, you know, in, into what it, in, into Red Rooster? Well, I think that as a chef, you have to evolve constantly, you know, and um, Red Rooster is an example of that. I felt after the post 9-11 and post financial crisis, I felt there was another conversation to be had. How can we make more uh, dem democratization of food and what would be more powerful than to do it in Harlem? And also for me, you know, being a black man, being an immigrant, I want to tell that story uh, of those two experiences colliding in America. You know what I mean? Yeah. And yeah. Harlem is a great community to tell that because you have a huge African-American population and the history of the great migration. And then you also have a huge immigrant population. So I felt... That was very important to me. And that that really, all my work goes through that, right? You know, my podcast, this moment, we talk about how it is as a creative black father, how it is to be in America at this moment. Uh, the books that I do, they we all we cook and create based on the experiences we are given to us. And these are two of mine. Tell me a little more about your podcast. Are you, is it, do you bring on other people? Is it you or, you know, just. Well, this, this moment is a podcast that um, my friend, uh, Jason Diakite, is a, he's an African-American rapper living in Sweden. And, and um, I put together 
during the pandemic, actually, you know, he's African-American living in Sweden and me being Swedish and American and black living in New York. What can we do as two creatives, but to share ideas and, 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 you know, he's used to a huge audience. I'm used to a big dining room being full. And how do we create when we don't have our normal, you know, as fathers, uh, when we don't normally go to work in a way, right? So, so this is a test and, um, we wanted to share those experiences. And then in the, in the spring, when it really became the spring of, of, you know, George Floyd and Black Lives Matters, the podcast really goes into that as well. What have you been feeling through all this? I mean, it must be heartbreaking and infuriating all at the same time. I mean, what, what have been your thoughts and how have you been leading your teams through it as well? I mean, well, I think that as, as a, as a black person, you have a certain, there's a certain closeness to these issues. And in one way you're inspired because you're, you're glad that this is now being highlighted, but it's, it's not a black issue. It's an, it's an American issue. And it's an issue that we have to solve together, you know, yeah. and dealing with the different type of isms that people have and biases. Um, this is our generation. We have to work on improving that, you know, whether it's the Amy Cooper scenarios in the world, or this the Ahmaud Marbury, uh, or Breonna Taylor, or George Floyd, you know, those are just horrific events happening right in front of us. But as black people, we know this has been happening forever. This is not new. This is not related just to this spray. Right. Right. And it's terrible that it's still happening. And how, you know, in being a leader through this, uh, through COVID these times, what, what has been the greatest lesson you've learned, you know, to keep your team sane and together and moving forward and, you know, trying to, you know, really create, keep going? The beautiful thing in the hospitality industry is that you are teams and um, we need each other, you know. Um, I just traveled for the first time in four months. I went to Miami to do the opening and all our Red Rooster Overtown, our creamery. And it was amazing to see, not as big group as we wanted to see, but at least about 20 people that were back working again. Okay. And once those tickets started to come in, it was beautiful. Even when the tick, even when the machine broke down, we were laughing because we're now dealing with restaurant issue, which we, we were all born to deal with, you know, mm -hmm. and that was a great feeling. So I, I've learned about gratitude, being grateful. Um, I've learned about that, you know, how much I really miss all of the aspects of this. It's not just the creative part, but it's the problem solving and being a mentor and, you know, meeting guests and listening to guests and, you know, evolving as communities, whether it's in Harlem or Overtime or Newark. Um, and it's a very, very special time that um, we just can't wait to get back to it's not going to be like it was before, right? It's just not. Something has broken. Something has really happened here. But um, I'm here for it. And there's a lot of strength in everybody coming out of this. Um, and there's a lot of sadness. We lost 120,000 people so far in this country. And, um, you know, a lot of people came from our industry. And it's also at the same time, it's very sad, right? Yeah. So much of this, 
of those 120,000 people who died are based on inequalities that we could have prevent, right? Healthcare system for all, etc. And who do you think is going to uh, be exposed to that the most? It's obviously P. You know, really exposed to the haves and don'ts. You know what I mean? When you say it's not going to be the same, how do you think it will affect um, dining experience in general? Do you think there will be some long-term effects that you got, that you are considering or looking at? I mean, the good news is it seems that people are wanting to come back out, that they are social beings. Um, but how do you think in terms of, you know, physical spaces, you know, design operations that you will have to, you know, deal with moving forward? Well, I mean, it's a little early. I don't want to, you know, I don't want to say things. And then I think it's, I'm, we're in the middle of it. It's very, it's very early to know that, right? Well, you can take an example of, if you go back 15 years ago, what happened to music, right? People wanted to listen to music, but they just don't even want to own CDs or, you know, in the same ways, right? So it started with Napster and then five years later, 10 years later, something like Spotify and that or Apple, um, you know, with a music component to it. And now it's kind of landed in a way that it works. It works for the industry. It works for the listener. And it works for the writers in a way, right? But that was a 15 years back and forth of, you know, and food might go in that direction. You know, I don't know what that means, but I know that people are going to cook. There's going to be consumers out there that's going to want it and how they want it. It's very, very early to predict, you know, so I don't think there's one way. No. That's true. I mean, I think there's going to be immediate things that we need to do. And then there's going to, you know, six next three, six months and then, you know, further down the road. So I think there'll be, a, you know, it's ever evolving and who knows what, you know, next year will look like um, in terms of your brand. I mean, it's, it's excited that you got to open up in Miami. Are you are you still looking, you know, are you still thinking about expanding and how do you are, are there other openings in the works or things that you have going that um, are still going to happen even amidst all of this? You know, what the future holds, I've learned not to predict because if COVID told, showed us anything, it was like, we're not necessarily in charge. Um, the virus is in charge, you know, so I don't, you know, I tried to predict my opening in Miami to March 1st. That didn't work out. So, you know what I mean? Like, I'm, I'm, I, I'm focused on what's in front of me, which is now, you know, opening more, um, opening up the restaurant fully in Harlem and in Miami, uh, you know, being focused on my podcast this moment, making sure it's as good as possible. And, and I'm excited about the rise, the cookbook. That's plenty. And then if that leads to more, I think first we have to figure out after all this, what's left. You know, I know that our Montreal restaurant is opening in the beginning of this, of July. So we're slowly, slowly, slowly trying to come back. Yeah. You know? How many restaurants do you have now? Well, I mean, um, we don't know if everyone's going to open back up. Uh, so, I'm, you know, we have Montreal, we have Harlem, so uh, Miami. So let's, you know, I know that my team is eager to get back and we work really hard on trying to get back in the best possible way. Yeah not an easy time. How have you, how have you stayed sane with your family? Have you been cooking a lot at home? Have you, you know, what have you been doing to, 
you know, survive these last three months? Starting this moment, starting the podcast was really part of that, right? It was a way to process what's really happening. But then also, I'm so lucky that every day I wake up, uh, my wife is here, my, my son is healthy, and that's not something you can take for granted. A lot of people in my community has um, gone through uh, COVID. So those were the two first things. And then the fact that having, you know, our son, you know, he's so he's full of life. And that has been sort of for, for us when as in the adult world, when you're dealing with everything and it's very dimmer and difficult news, it's been great to have a three-year-old running around. It just breaks up the day in an amazing way. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, I have three small children, so I totally understand. Yeah. Um, they definitely yeah. keep you busy. Um, and, you know, you said you that you had a lot of amazing mentors along the way. Has there been a piece of advice that has resonated with you or, you know, helped you achieve this success that you have achieved? I mean, there's many, you know, like Miss Leah Chase, you know, she, she was a big mentor and inspiration to me. Um, and looking at, you know, her restaurant opened in the 40s and the restaurant fifth generation is still around in, in, in Nola, you know, so, you know, talking to her daughter Stella and talking to Miss Leah about all the challenges that they had through civil rights movement, through Katrina, through real tough times. And they, you know, more active than ever. So it's, I look at that as an inspiration. I also look at uh, coming from Africa and the tough times that Ethiopia has had and you can go through. So I draw inspiration from, from um, very different places. I mean, if you had to predict, I mean, do you think the industry will get back on its feet quicker than people expected? Or do you think there's still a lot more that needs to be done from the government and, you know, from the individual cities as we open up and figure out how to how to operate in this new abnormal? First of all, the the country is vast and it's going to be live very restaurants work locally and it's very different for every for every place, you know, uh, I think like we in New York, we have to follow the guidelines here and that could be very different than if you seasonal restaurant in Martha's Vineyard or if you're in Hawaii or you know what I mean I think that we we have a very we have a huge challenge in front of us as an industry and as a country and I hope um, you know all 11 million of us that work in the hospitality industry and all the plus the six million that works in the food chain can get their jobs back. And then that's really my hope and goal for everyone because I know America needs us and we need our jobs back. Well, Marcus, thank you so much for taking this time. I really do appreciate it um, and hope to see you in real life sooner yeah. rather than later. <laughs> Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. You can follow me on Marcus Cooks and I'll, I'll have my predictions right there. All right? <laughs> You're saving them all there. Well, I can't wait to read yeah. your book too. Thank you. Thank Thanks. you so much. Thanks for listening to Hospitality Designs, What I've Learned. If you like what you've heard, subscribe and review us on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. You can find full episodes and transcripts at hospitalitydesign.com.